Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Good evening. Yes, good evening. Well, for today's opening problem, we have, what makes a good president? Is it the same characteristics as what makes a good king? Does having a single powerful individual have any point? How to be a leader is one of the most debated and talked about subjects in philosophy and social science. It's very easy to critique a leader and very hard to make a correct decision in the face of uncertain results, especially knowing that popular decisions may not be the right decisions. Many of the acclaimed leaders of America have had horrible personality traits, and some of the best people to hold office were bad leaders. So for today's question of the show, we say, what makes a good leader? This is obviously a huge thing with you. You have Biden and you have Trump and then you have Obama, just the, the last three presidents. Um, I don't know how many times the leadership got critiqued in some way or the other. What a lot of people don't realize is leadership is not, uh, it's not like a specific trait. It's made up of the traits of the person, you know, what makes somebody a good leader. And every trait contains a positive and a negative. We can go back through history. Um, and we can look at things like different presidents had different ways of dealing with crisis that faced them with uh, problems that faced them. Uh, some of them were good. Some of them weren't. And there's different characteristics of what make up a response. So you have what they do in closed door sessions, which almost none of us get to see. You see what they tell the public, and then you see the actual actions that take place because eventually it becomes known to the public. Right. And it's, and it's different for every single president, for every single issue, ranging from immigration to wars in the Middle East. Right. Somebody may be very good on the domestic front because of uh, the way that they speak and act, and they might be very terrible at foreign policy because of it. Um, and, you know, every trade, as everybody knows, contains positive and negative. They, somebody may be very good at something and then very bad at something else. And the problem is when you're the president or you're a congressman or you're a Supreme Court justice, if you're somebody who's in an executive type position where you're at a leading point, then you, you tend to deal with a lot of things. And so you are very good at some of them and very bad at others. <laughs> the one thing that springs to mind is people often forget that before we had the Civil War, we had uh, the Civil War round one that almost happened, where basically a bunch of states got together and they declared that the federal government's laws were null and void. Right. They, they said that they could nullify federal laws. If the, if the federal government had overreached its authority, then uh, a state could say, well, this does not uh, actually apply here. There were some federal tariffs that got written uh, in 1828 and 1832. So we're talking about 30 years before the Civil War. And uh, basically what happened is, is South Carolina said, well, these tariffs are unconstitutional. Therefore, we will not enforce them. Um, you can actually see that today in um, a lot of our sanctuary cities, things like that, right? You know, so federally it's illegal for somebody to cross the border illegally. But if they can make it to a city where it's considered a sanctuary city, they're safe so long as they're in those borders, so long as ICE doesn't find you. Right. But they, what they'll say is that the, the police there will not pursue them. So that you can see sort of similar. There's always been this idea that, you know, if the federal government says something and it's wrong, then we should be able to uh, get around it. Well, that's, that's been the argument of states' rights to this day. 
the idea that the states have more power than a federal institution. And we kind of see that play out in the past couple of years in how we handle COVID. Each state handles mandates at a different way. And there's only been a couple of times where this has played out at the federal level, such as, well, not even really the federal level. It's usually played out more in the Supreme Court than anywhere else. Like the most recent uh, ruling that came out of the Supreme Court regarding that healthcare workers could be mandated to get fully vaccinated, but em private employers with 100 or more employees are not required by mandate or they don't, yeah, by mandate, they don't have to mandate in order to do that. So now we have President Biden saying, hey, please mandate it for your businesses to do this because we no longer have the power to do that. Right. So you can see that this is not like a new thing. So there, there are parallel, this has always been a case where somebody is trying to say, I don't have to do something and I don't want to. So you have, right. So, but let's, let's talk about the reason why this didn't lead to civil war. The reason this didn't lead to civil war is at the time, Andrew Jackson was president, right? This is the famous Andrew Jackson, um, legendary war hero. And basically he, he sort of just, he took the hard line stance, right? He said. Yeah, good, good luck with that. And uh, it, this is not constitutional. And he said he was going to, he, he basically said, he, he intimated that if you don't follow the rules, then I'll come down there and make you. And the problem is, is South Carolina went, that's actually a pretty real threat because he might do that and he's a little nuts. Um, and so South Carolina eventually sort of backed away from their position. Um, and they, they, they really, it got resolved because he had a very hard line stance that the federal government was a strong government that spoke for everybody and you followed the laws, right? Mm -hmm. Now. And they believed him. This same stance is what led to the, him also, a, a, he, he's the guy who did the Trail of Tears. Wow. That's the type of thing that people will remember the name of the Trail of Tears, but they won't remember the person who instituted it. Right. So if you're thinking about it, right, you know, everybody is like, hey, you know, good, look at him. He, he handled that nullification crisis the correct way. Did he handle the Trail of Tears the correct way? Very few people would say, yeah, right. Mm. That probably wasn't handled correctly. Um, that probably also wasn't the right decision. He probably didn't have the ability to say, you know, forced resettlement is probably not something that you're able to, you know, all that sort of stuff. That sounds like something that today you'd end up with, it would have to go through the House and then the Senate. That would be some form of a law. Right. You would, yeah. And if it wasn't, the, the internet moves so fast today that it wouldn't pass and it would end up in the Supreme Court long before it was ever enacted. So that that's, that you can see how somebody's personality and somebody's history made one situation better, but made another one worse, right? So, I mean, yeah, it, it really, it really can actually <laughs> affect how a modern leader would come at it. So a lot of people will say something like, what's presidential, right? Uh, he's a, there's, what they mean by presidential oftentimes is whether or not the person makes them feel good about themselves. I was just going to say, we usually disagree about what makes somebody presidential. That's, that's, uh, that's character traits that we personally have to feel comfortable with, or we, we we don't see them that way because there are plenty of people that will take the stance that I don't have to like the person for them to be presidential. If they're going to be hard on this or hard on that, then I don't have to like them. But other people would say, I actually have to like them because that's how I determine whether or not I vote yes or no. Yeah. So that, that, that definitely happens a lot. How many times has, you know, 
they'll say, oh, he's a real go-getter and he's the kind of guy we need, or, oh, he's a, you know, he, he's, he's a good, he, he makes good speeches. He's a good leader because he, he inspires, right? That would have been Obama, 2016. Right. So you, typically what you'll see is there's a trait that somebody has, and then somebody says that makes them a good leader. And then usually what happens is, is no one ever discusses how that may not actually be useful, right? So if somebody makes speeches and they're very inspiring and uplifting. Right. But then on the national stage, they go and bow to other foreign leaders and you're like, you're physically bowing to them. Like, what does that say about us? You're bowing for me and our people. Right. So there's that. Or if he's very good at giving speeches and he's not a particularly... He, he, t he can't get his party in line, right? Oh, is that a direct shot at Biden or? <laughs> that, that, that could be it. But, that, 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 you know, but there's been a lot of times where presidents have had, you know, the, the president has an idea. H.W. Uh, Bush would be an example, right? The no new taxes. And then he, mm. he put in new taxes and immediately lost all popular support. Yeah. It's a double cross. You have to at least defend what you're doing in a way that people accept. And the only thing that people would have accepted at that point of it have been, oh, we have this war. Well, I guess we have to raise tax money or somehow. It's that or bonds. But that's different. Yeah. So that you, you can see this, you know, um, FDR was, you know, the FDR fireside chats are legendary, right? But he probably actually extended the great depression by several years mm -hmm. due to his, um, economic policies. Right. right. There's the, uh, there's a depression that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, have you looked that one up before? Actually, I haven't. Oh, um, I feel like it's worth just sidelining for a second. Uh, it was a two year period. I'm literally going to look it up. Uh, the depression you've never heard of, uh, because it was a 1920, 1921, and it was a textbook economic downturn. And the president at the time, I'm gonna have to find which one that was said, we're, we're going to do nothing. Coolidge. Yeah, there we go. He said, we're going to do nothing, uh, because it's going to write itself. And so, uh, and so the, the context being that the economy tends to write itself 99% of the time by doing nothing because it just corrects you. It just corrects. And we, we kind of see that happen uh, a, a lot of different ways. Like people would like to think that the economy corrected it during 2020 and came back up because of the government shooting money into it. But in reality, it comes back up because people reinvested their money. And private money is way larger. Yeah. Well, and we're not even like talking about jobs in this instance, or I'm not, because jobs don't correlate to an upswing of uh, the stock market, which is what people will say is the economics, even though economy and the stock market, while correlated, are not causing one or the other. Right. Which I think many people would notice with a lot of the way the markets behaved recently. But mm -hmm. yeah, no, that's, that's definitely a good point because, you know, Imagine, imagine anybody today suggesting that the government do nothing to the, for the economy. Just imagine. Right. Well, you'd have people really angry because a lot of people, especially Democrats, believe that they are put in power to correct this or to right the storm, to, to solve their specific economic problems. Meanwhile, I think that their existence is that they need to be there to protect our rights and keep the government functioning. And that's what they should be focused on. Right. So you would find a different trait for a different leader more attractive. So like a lot, you know, what well, the argument a lot of people use with Trump 
uh, you know, the whole mean tweets argument, which is the guy ran a good country. He just didn't shut up on Twitter. What I, you know, and they, what a lot of their arguments will be is, well, I'll take that over somebody who can't run a good country who isn't mean on Twitter. Here's right. what I would say. He didn't have a strong enough chief of staff. He needed a chief of staff he was scared of. He needed like a person he actually not only respects, but is, but fears. Well, because that's the thing, like somebody that, that could have held him in line, he would have been able to surrender the phone and say, okay, it's, it's only uh, tweets that encourage our policy. Because from the concept of the country, he was able to encourage the internal power of the economy and encourage people from all walks of life to go and get what they want. Right. But from the concept of managing people's feelings or helping people understand why he is coming from the position that he's doing so, unfortunately, you would see a mean tweet or you'd see somebody inspect a section on the web on the on Twitter and change a tweet and write something even more inflammatory and then pass it off as if it's his words and people would just believe it. Right. So, yeah. And I think, you know, it, it also didn't help to have a media that took, you know, every single word he said is the worst case possible. Well, and, and every single, he would, he would legitimately push a tweet and then you would end up with a three page article yeah. on it from CNN, MSNBC. And it's just like, we don't even have any information yet. There's no official anything. You're taking 256 characters out of, out of like at, at the face value and then interpreting it. That's not how we do business in the right. country. Yeah. So, you know, but you can see that for him, that quality of his, where he was good on his feet, right? Like he, he would often give speeches just completely off the cuff mm -hmm. and at which we respect, but at the same point, he would get himself into he trouble. He shot himself in the foot every once in a while, yep. The textbook case of this would be when he was asked during, I believe it was the second, the second debate, he was asked uh, if he supports white supremacy. And he, he said, I don't know what you want me to, to do. I've, I've said time and time again. And then he didn't really, he kind of like trailed off and he was like, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? Like, we want you to, to declare this. And then he said, like, proud boys, uh, stand back and stand down. And then that, yeah. And instead of it being like, look, he's, he's trying to, you know, instead of the whole quote, it got turned into, oh, he's giving the proud boys orders. Right. When what he should have said is, he should have said, I have said that white supremacy is bad X number of times. I have been on TV. I have been um, behind each of these different people. And you are once again the problem because you don't cover these stories that were of me of sharing this. So instead you come here and you ask me this BS question in front of the entire country so then I can say it again. But you're not going to ask him that because you take it for granted that this other white guy just means that. And that's ridiculous because he spent decades promulgating the the belief that black people are less than white people. He so straight up said that black people are not smart people uh, or that that he said that during when, yeah, when he was the, running with Obama. He has said really dumb things that are extremely insulting to the incredible black and brown Americans in this country who should be insulted by this man even standing right. here. Right. And that but so you can see that, you know, that that trait got him in. But again, it's his honesty that probably mm -hmm. won him the 2016 election, because one of the things that people don't like about Ted Cruz 
is how put together his responses sound. Well, he's he's like a, a tape. Like the first time I heard uh, Ted Cruz spoke was when I think it was during the 2016 election. That was the first presidential election I yeah. could vote in. And I remember his answer. He was asked about how he would handle uh, the drug trade. And he had this entire story already ready to go for his brother, I believe, who passed away because of uh, drugs and they took a tough love approach with him. I could be wrong about him passing away, but he had a really like emotive speech about it. Right. And at that moment, I was like, wow, like what an amazingly passionate person. And then like an hour later, I'm going, that's so fake. How many people have put together a speech related to something that happened in their lives that they're just ready to pull out? This wasn't some grand unveiling. Like my, my dad was like, oh, yeah, we already knew that. I was like, oh, OK. Yeah, so that uh, just means I'm young. Well, and then you know the Kamala Harris, um, sto- all, a lot of her stories, they you know they they come out of nowhere. And you're just like, when did we start talking about this? And like, oh, it's because she went and wrote this speech before. She's expecting this question, and this is the the PR team's response. But like when when you listen to Cruz talk, right? Like like when Trump talks, you can tell that guy is talking because he means exactly what he just said, right? Mm-hmm. He he the he's expressing his thoughts. Right. And then, you, you know, and then he makes mistakes expressing. We listen to Cruz talk, you know, it, it can come, you know, he does that thing where he'll go, you know, I, I think what we all need to understand is that right now I want to talk to the American people. And he, and he'll look at the camera. He even points. I'm looking, I'm talking to you, to the men and women in the audience, the hardworking men. And it's like, at a certain point, you're like, I get it. I'm hardworking. I'm great. I'm fantastic. I'm wonderful. I should vote for you. I get it. Go get on like, with the show. Please yeah. stop giving me false affection. Yeah. And it, 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 you know, it, it just, I don't need it. I don't need an introduction like, you know, Supreme Emperor Thaddeus the second, you know, you like. <laughs> and we feel the same exact way when we, when we remember Biden looking out and saying, I'm here to unite the entirety of America. Meanwhile, we already knew that he was going to put far left people in his cabinet. People who were actually centrists and independents already knew that he was likely to put leftists into yeah. his cabinet. But when faced with voting for this president or for the previous president, they decided that this person who has been moderate in the past will hopefully be moderate in the future, despite the fact that uh, the party itself has been very co-opted by leftist ideology right so one and i think that does bring us because we've talked about trump biden all these things um one of the things that uh you know it's actually a lot i think a lot of people don't realize is that um the people who make better leaders are actually disagreeable people so people that seek to promote themselves more than um to be agreeable to other people well, they stand up for themselves right they're not trying to get other people's affection they know they don't need that affection, they need their respect. Right. So there's something right there. If you're looking for somebody who's good at foreign policy. Well, an example of that would be like cinema in the Senate. There are a lot of people who saying that her, the speech that she gave in regards to how she supports the voting overhaul, but she's not willing to destroy the filibuster to have it. And because, and that, that has gotten her on some, some bad sides. Right. She got censured by her party, which means that they're extremely unlikely to support her when they get to, uh, her, I think, 2024, 26. And, and, and here's the thing. She's got millions of dollars in her war chest. You know, yep. she's got money. And anyone who's looking up what the opposition has raised, it's in the hundreds of thousands or lower 
of dollars. So not even close. And this is just a moment in politics where they could decide that she's still a hero for Arizona in a few years, or she might peel away votes from if she can get through her primary, she'd probably peel away votes from the Republican Party because she can say, I did this and was unpopular. Right. She can say, I'm not, I will not be crazy. And now we could say she's highly disagreeable because she stood up against her own party for the betterment of society, even though it's going to make her the bad guy. Right. And uh, yeah, and so that, so, you know, again, is she a better leader because of her disagreeableness, right? You know, they actually talked about how uh, typically managers are more higher up you go. Um, you're more, uh, you know, I, it's, it's an article I was reading, um, from 2015 business insider wrote it and they're talking about how managers tend to be more disagreeable, but they actually found that they actually did like a study where they had, they basically put people in a room and they had them be disagreeable or agreeable and then follow those traits. And they found that, especially if you're male, if you're agreeable, you won't get promoted. They won't consider you. That's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that when it, as it plays out, I'm a consultant and I work with a lot of different managers, both within my own company and with a lot of fortune 500 companies. And it's very true that the people who have the strongest opinions are the ones who are the highest up the train, up, up the, the chain. And I think it's because they have vision and they're willing to disagree. They, they've, they've conquered a piece of ideology that it's better to be disagreeable and not considered nice because right. they'll be more successful than it is to be nice and agreeable. Right. But again, here's the thing, disagreeable people, one of the traits that they tend to have is that they tend to pursue, you know, power. So again, you may be saying like the pe so the people who are pursuing power, they may actually not be the people who should have it. So now, so you can see how you get stuck in this weird loop of, well, the best leaders are the people who are disagreeable and the ones who will probably seek more power. Um, however, the people who probably should have power are the ones who probably won't ever get it. Well, I think that the most common way of acting it out, we kind of see it at the presidential stage, except maybe this time for this year. But typically you see people where they come into the position that they're at and they come in softly where their their shoes are very soft. They're somewhat agreeable during their their early time and then they feel more confident that they become more disagreeable and they get promoted and they repeat the cycle again. Right. And you kind of see that with the presidents. Usually they come in softly. They try to make people feel pleased with them. And then they start making large changes if oh, they that, can. That was 100% Obama. Obama pre-2010 was like, we're all in this together. We're going to get on the boat. We're going to move the ship. And then like after 2010 turned into, dude, screw these guys. Like, hey, really? He, after that, he was just like, yo, who, are the, who the hell? And like yeah, it was just hit me in the head. It was like, wait a second. I think I said Obama 2016. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, that's wrong. Yeah. I totally gave the wrong year back but, then. But uh, if you look at how a lot of, um, you know, like a lot of the people that, you know, Trump was with, right? Like he went from like, I'm going to hire these collegiate, like good for the job people. You know, like, like Sean Spicer, right? Like what a, what a bad pick because Sean Spicer was like, oh, here's like the typical Washingtonian person. And Spicer was really not ready to handle the Donald Trump presidency. He had no clue what he was getting himself into. He was like, he, he sometimes really did look like he was like, what is going on? And, you know, but by the time then we get to like, by the end, we're at Kaylee McEnany. You know what I mean? It's like, we mm -hmm. went to Huckabee Sanders who was like, she was like collegiate, but she hit back. And then we went to McEnany mm -hmm. by the end. She, she was just like a straight up puncher. Like she just, she's just going to go out there and yell at them. That's what she's going to do. They're, they'll yell at oh, her. Yeah. She'll yell at them. Right. 
and and but you, you know so they he definitely evolve people do evolve over the time you know and they learn from different things and I, you know i think that kind of just brings us to the uh, a conclusion that bad traits and people may not actually be bad for leading and you know supreme court justices they have a different goal than congressmen you know justices don't need to be concerned with forging agreement so for a justice like how many times have you like if you read a lot of supreme court cases you'll be surprised at how like antagonistic their writings are like they will straight up insult every single other person on the court they're very strongly worded and they, they kind of have to be because if they're not going to strongly word it then there's room for interpretation yeah they are i mean you know, you'll you'll read something and they'll say you know this court is like out of its they'll say the, the ludicrous and interpretation of this court has ruined the, you know, like stuff that if, if it was like a president who said it would be like all over the news the next day. Well, people aren't reading this for the most part, even though it's publicly available. Anybody can Google Supreme Court ruling and usually they'll see the headline and stop reading. Yeah. They, they just care about the ruling, right? Um, mm -hmm. But again, you can see how people, they care about the ruling, right? So what are they going to do? They're going to put in people to get the rulings that they. Is that a cat? It is a cat, actually. Yes, uh, one of my cats is uh, having a great time in the background. Is your cat a good leader? Uh, he is. Uh, he bullies my two dogs. Uh, so <laughs> that is how cats operate. Yeah. So um, he's a big boy, actually. He's about twenty pounds, and he's um, he's not actually overweight. He is a very large cat. He's got um, some Norwegian forest cat at him. So we could argue that bullying is a bad trait for leading, and your cat is not a good leader, but a Correct. very good bully. Right. Well, again, you know, bullying people in your country may not be good, uh, but you might want to bully other people. You, you might want to be able to bully dictators, right? Um, sure. You know, I mean, the, well, we're seeing it now. It's playing out live, like looking at Russia yep. and saying, well, is Putin going to invade Ukraine? Well, we've pretty much said that we're not going to do anything about it. And if we do, it won't be immediate. Well, the State Department posted a video saying that we stand with Ukraine. So I think I think we've really knocked them in their socks. But mm. the... You know, again, the, you can see that we get, we often get poetic about presidential leadership qualities, and there's a lot of discussion in politics about this. You know, there's um, the German word real politic, which is just uh, sort of the, we, we would call it pragmatic, the idea that you should use pragmatic solutions instead of idealistic, um, you know, and then there's people that are more idealistic, right? You know, which is, well, we, you know, whether or not something is helpful doesn't matter as much as whether or not it's idealistic. Well, like people, we see that more on the Democrat side where people say, we're probably wrong with how we're doing it, but at least we're trying. This is the type of terminology that would make people on the right sometimes go just like freak out. Like this, that yeah. is the type of thing that go, ah, what are we supposed to do with this? Because they just said that they they don't really care about being pragmatic so long as they're doing something. There's Meanwhile, the response should be like, okay, well, uh, from, from my perspective, it would be, okay, well, I appreciate how you're trying, like what you're trying to do to get there. And we agree that, that they need such and such thing, but we need to do it in a way that actually will work so that we're not wasting money. And I feel like then you end up with a circle of conversation and we come back to what makes a good leader. And it's going to be people able to identify and listen and not just listen to respond, but actually listen to understand. Right. And, you know, somebody who like is very narcissistic, you might not want to marry that person, but he might be a very good forward policy person because he might be very good at um, protecting your national um, pride, mm -hmm. right? Because he is the nation. So like you can see how some like a bad trait suddenly becomes good because its application in that situation is is good, right? You know, you, nobody's going to roll over you because you, you, they never allow anybody to roll over them. Mm -hmm. Now, again, that's not, that's not a good marriage trait. 
right? You know, you... <laughs> there's a reason why Trump has had like how many wives? Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and why? Yeah, so you can see how there's there's that issue with that. You know, uh, charisma. He might make a great leap, like oh, John Edwards. Oh, mm. that guy. That guy was like charismatic. Oh, the hair, the speech. Like he was like the the like he was the stereotypical '90s 2000s politician. To a t he had he was he probably would have made vice president or president on his course, but again he was so charismatic and he was and he was so used to just sort of you know he could schmooze his way through anything, and then what he tried to schmooze his way through was being with another woman while his wife was having cancer treatments, yeah, Ooh. and that 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 ended that right, um, you know so, you know that you can see how a lot of these again. A quality that made him an insane politician turned into a quality that made him a terrible husband, right? Biden has the same thing. You know, Biden has always been sort of a jerk, right? He's, he's, he's rather known as being a jerk to people, but he, because of the way he positioned himself, he was one of the guys you had to kind of go through if you wanted to do anything in the Senate, hmm. right? So he was a jerk, but he was a jerk who knew where to put himself, right? He would be right in the middle. He'd hold a lot of the power, a lot of the introductions. And he knew exactly where he needed to be, right? And he maintained his career that way. Um, you know, was, was, you know, that was useful for the party. There's a reason he got picked for Obama's uh, vice president. Um, you know, and it was useful for him. It was a good trait and it was a good, he had a trait that made him a better politician than a lot of the people he ran against. However, is it a good trait for actually running a country? Is it a good trait for getting things done? No, it's turned out he's rather ineffective at that. Um. Mm -hmm. So and this is really good conversation to have right now. I mean, these are we, we've talked about mostly really high profile yes. types of leaders, but this is really a good time to start this conversation because we're headed into 2022 and the yes. primary season. And most people aren't thinking about who is in their primary for their their politicians over right. this year. And this is arguably the the, the most important thing you can do is vote in a primary because that determines who is actually going to be put up because if you, if you want to support a particular type of ideology this is when you do it you don't support that when you go to the general election it's the primary where you support the ideolo ideology for the party that you think is the best for right. the country for the best for your state the best for your specific area for your representatives and your senators right and, and you can think about you know I, I hear a lot of complaints like, you know, these old fogies don't understand technology, then right? don't vote for older people, right. vote for younger people that represent you better. But what are you going to lose out on, right? Like, look at a lot of how these younger people that are getting in are not as, they, they're, they're not as, they tend to have more short-sighted goals, right? They, they tend to be like, we can just fix this. And then like, you can kind of tell like older people going, no, you can't because that's been a thing forever, you know? <laughs> right. Well, we see this time and time again. I mean, going back to a, another point, people were saying that Biden should go and remove $10,000 worth of student debt or $50,000 worth of student debt. And now we have a memo internally that they haven't released to the public about whether he can or can't do it, which we all know it says that he can't do it from a legal perspective. Right. And that's why I haven't released it. But they haven't released it. So we don't know. And so that's the type of short-sightedness where you could get from people that are in their younger 20s, them saying, well, you can just write this in and right. it'll just happen. Meanwhile, we have uh, the House Rep uh, Nancy Pelosi had already put out a memo saying it's totally not within 
President Biden's abilities to do that. Right. And they sh- people of her own party should trust her, but are still pushing for something she herself has said we can't do. Right. And that's a very short-sighted thing to say that we can do it when we just don't have the power to do that without the House and the Senate. And so you really have to balance that with how you vote. You don't have to vote for everyone that's young in your area. You can vote for somebody that you think is more wise and you can vote for somebody who is younger. A lot of times you find in business that you need both perspectives in order to thrive. Yes. Because I've, I've run into, uh, so uh, this is a weird one. Uh, I, as a consultant, I sometimes I'm put in a position where I have to interview with a company because they need to know if I've got the right stuff. And so I actually made myself more disagreeable for the interview because I knew that I was going and talking to a, well, a a group of three ageist older white men. I knew that they were going to want me to be older and act older. And I took that to know that they want me to be more disagreeable. They want me to be just as disagreeable as them. So I took some harder stances on things that I wouldn't want to do. And I'm like, yeah, I could find some other people to do that, but it's beneath me to work on those specific things. And th- those are the types of things they wanted to hear. Right, because they, they didn't want you to just be a yes man. They didn't want you to just be, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to come in here and just, you know, be happy and flowery and all this stuff. They wanted to hear that, you know, so that you can see how, th- how people are looking for different ones. And so I mm-hmm. think where we go from here, you know, you know, for those of you that are listening, when you're thinking about what makes something presidential or what, what you like in a leader, so you may not like a, the traits that make him so. You know, he may say, oh, he's a decisive guy but he might be a bully. You know, he, he may have, he may have traits or he may have actions that do not go with that. You are never going ever to find somebody who is a non-threatening person, agreeable and pliable. Who's also a great leader because they're decisive or the right decisive people tend to have disagreeable traits, right? Congressmen that get stuff done, they get in there and get it done. They're probably very good at blackmail or, or positioning or things like that, that allow them to position themselves in such a way like Pelosi has her seat because she's able to keep everybody else in line. She, she knows how to use leverage right now. Again, th- it's not fun to say you like that, right? Like nobody likes to be like, I enjoy disagreeable people. Yes. I, I love them. I, I enjoy working with people that disagree, don't work well with others, right? Uh, you know, again. What a lot of the people that, uh, tackled great and difficult things throughout history are people that are dangerous. They're people who were disagreeable. They're people who were not that they had character traits and character flaws that either lended themselves to the situation or they were, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, in a position where their specific set may not have been useful for anything else, but it was useful for this. Right. And that, you know, that is exactly. What do you have to think about when you say, I like someone who's presidential? What character traits somebody bring to the table for that? What do they need to get done? What are the problems that are facing the country? Um, that's, that's more of a consideration than whether or not, because again, feeling good is great. I, I love it when a president gets up there and makes me feel proud to be an American. I love it. But you cannot always feel proud all the time about every single thing. Some things are going to be difficult and some things are going to be unpopular, Right. Somebody who's up there, who's just a toady, who's going to say yes to whatever you need. That's not going to be a good leader because he'll just vote for whatever the public wants. And the public at general tends to not think very long-term. How many people just told Trump, Hey, just, 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 you know, uh, 
cancel the election. How many people were for like straight up, uh, Trump should just, let's just, let's just, let's just tell the Democrats mm -hmm. they didn't win, they're cheaters and we're done, right? See you in four years. How many people said that, right? Because that was a, that it probably would have, it would have been very popular with those people. They would have talked about how he's a strong president, right? However, that's not, that's not, that's not a good trait for somebody who would conveniently disregard the rule of law and the, and the to, to do that, right? That's not useful. You know, how many times did, uh, you know, again, as you said, Nancy Pelosi, she's telling people Biden can't do this, <laughs> right? But for a lot of those people, they're going, ah, that's terrible leadership. No, it's not, right? Just because it's unpopular doesn't mean it's bad leadership. So you, you have to look a lot deeper into people's character traits, into their um, values, into their principles, the way they handle things. You have to look a lot deeper than that than simply deciding, well, he makes me feel good when I listen to him on the TV. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow.